It's Wednesday, February 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool One, Brian White. Good to see you guys. Good to see you, Chris. We're Thank get- you, Chris. We're getting this one in ahead of the storm. Yes. Because and for, and let me just say up front, this may be our last Market Foolery of the week. Uh, yeah. Honestly, depending on what the storm does tomorrow, we may not be here tomorrow. We'll see. Fingers the crossed. The zombies will have taken over. The by zombies. I mean, given given the level of fear, I don't think the zombie apocalypse would cause as much fear as a snowstorm causes in the nation's capital. Yes, I think we've talked about this before. Few things cripple the Washington, D.C. area like snow and ice. The hint of snow. The hint of snow and ice. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk about the soda industry. But, uh, Bill, let me just give you a few seconds right at the top here because the last time you were here in studio, last week, our colleague from the North, the Great White North, Jim Gillies, was here. And right before we started taping... Don't get me started. He basically broke some of the equipment, and now you're... And di- now you're forcing me to sit in the, the seat with the broken equipment. Right. And, and I can tell you, when later on tonight, when we're doing the MFAM um, global broadcast, which everybody should be tuning into, um, I'm not sitting in this seat. <laughs> Who should we put here? Uh, maybe... I don't know. We can talk about that yeah. afterwards. But basically, Jim Gillies broke some equipment, resulting in headphones that you're wearing, giving feedback of some sort. Yeah, it's just a, a, a deafening hum in, in my ears for the entire show. So if I make any mistakes, that's why. I'm distracted. <laughs> we'll see if we can get through this. Uh, but yes, to your point, and I was going to mention this at the close, but yes, tonight, Motley Fool Funds is having their semi-annual shareholder conference call. You don't need to be a shareholder to participate, to listen or watch. We're streaming video for it. All the information is available at foolfunds.com. So if you're interested, Bill Barker, Bill Mann, Tim Hanson, Tony Arsta, and I will be holding forth for about an hour on the world of investing. So check it out yeah. at foolfunds.com. You don't have to listen for the full hour. No. That's that's a long time. Yeah, we have to be here for the full hour, yeah. but you you tune in, you know. Tune in and ten minutes. Have a beverage because it will be later in the day. Let's. Uh, speaking of beverages, uh, we have fourth quarter results from Dr Pepper Snapple Group. Sales were down, volume was down, profit was down, and yet shares are hitting, I believe, an all time high today. Bill, I'll go to you first. Is this simply a matter of expectations? Yes. And outperformance of those expectations. Yeah. Well, the, the stock was a, a tiny bit down going into this, but uh, it, it, it has not, unlike a lot of other things, taken off in the last couple of years. It's a reasonable performance. In, in the absence of comparing returns to the average uh, market uh, stocks uh, returns last year, you know, it's 17, 18% return last year, okay. Uh, but it's not one of these things that's seen its uh, price skyrocket. And so uh, coming in um, a little bit under expectations, but guiding a, a little bit uh, toward a, a decent year uh, coming up is, is enough to uh, 2-3%. One of the things that we saw in this quarter, and I don't think this was a surprise to anyone, is the continued decline of soda consumption in North America. And Brian, we've talked before about... SodaStream and most recently yeah. the pop in, in no pun intended in SodaStream because of the Coca-Cola deal with Green Mountain Coffee Roasters and I want to spend a few minutes talking about where we're headed in all this because I don't think this trend we've seen in North America is going to decline anytime soon so I'm wondering 
the declining trend is not going to decline? Meaning, that's not going to reverse. Sorry, I have so much buzzing in my ears, I'm not sure if I heard you It's not going to reverse. Soda consumption, I I mean, anyone who thinks that soda consumption is going to suddenly shoot back up, I think, is kidding themselves. So where are we going 15, 20 years down the line, Brian? Is it the way of Soda Stream and Green Mountain Coffee Roasters, Keurig machines? Everyone's going to have their own soda machine in their house. Where do you think we're going? Well, I think I think first of all the the decline is. I mean, your base was so high, right? I mean, to grow from where where uh, the popularity of soda had gotten to in North America to grow, you know, any further from there. I mean, it was the decline is not surprising um, because of the base. And I'd say you you have two different kinds of themes going on. You have one the uh, option now to make soda in the home that SodaStream brought to the market here in the U.S. It had been an option in Western Europe for quite a while. Um, so this is something new for consumers here in North America. The adoption of SodaStream machines has been pretty light. I think the expectations with the Keurig uh, cold system with Green Mountain and Coke coming in 2015 is a little bit, you know, you got, you, you've got to think that you have a lot of uh, potential customers to market to you have a ton of coca-cola loyal fans and then you have you know a good base of keurig fans so so you're likely to see some adoption there but the other theme is just health in general we have a large baby boomer population you go to the doctor you know your physician tells you you've got to watch what you're putting into your body and and part of that is soda um soda is low-hanging fruit um to cut out of your diet so i think i think given the uh demographics here in the United States, plus now the option in the home. I think you're going to see sort of a fragmented market. Soda um, through the grocery store and through the convenience store is still going to dominate consumption, but it'll be, I think, you know, I think it's reasonable to expect this, the trend, the decline to continue, and then also some adoption at the home. I think that option is interesting for, for U.S. households, the ability to make soda at the home. Do you have either of these machines in your home bill a, a a soda stream machine or a Keurig just make your own coffee just one cup at a time uh no i got my parents a Keurig uh some years ago and it, it's sort of an action thing um because it, it, it you put the the i like it in general but you put a, a cup down on it and before it actually brews it vibrates the cup <laughs> off center so it's kind of a, an exciting mystery challenge, like <laughs> how much coffee will end up in the coffee cup. But other than that, I think it, it works very well. We were talking earlier today. You said, and perhaps I'm paraphrasing, you said the, the home of the future is going to be awesome. And part of that is going to be when it comes to beverages. Yeah, everything. I mean, it's uh, the the home of the present is isn't too bad, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, and we're going to be in in our homes like for the next forty eight hours because there will be no digging out of this four inches of snow, <laughs> uh, you know, in in our area for days. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the video just gets better. Were you the one who who was telling me to watch True Detective? Uh, I I hear that. Is really, I was not. Really I've, I have not watched it yet. Uh, it's the new HBO series. Yeah. I hear it's fantastic. I watched the first episode last night, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to be snowed in and to just <laughs> catch awesome. up on that. And and of course, uh, um, you know, House of Cards is coming out on on Friday. So uh, yeah, you know, video people are just going to be at home more and more as their TVs get better and better. That's uh, a great point. Movies get more and more expensive, and yeah, when you can. 
uh, get coffee delivered to you in multiple different ways and, and soda without having to go out, out without having to go through all the plastic and recycling and, and all that. Um, yeah, I think that the and everything will be delivered by Amazon to your home and, and we'll all just <laughs> by like, drones. know our neighbors even less than we do today uh, because there's no point. We, do, we don't need any help from, from them and we don't need to know them because there's lots of cool stuff, uh, you know, in our houses. So bringing it back to Dr. Pepper Snapple Group for a second, is it, it sounds like whether it's Dr. Pepper Snapple or Coca-Cola or Pepsi, perhaps none of them are in danger of the growing health trend. Perhaps it's just, look, we're going to keep drinking your various products because they do have non-soda beverages in their portfolios, but the delivery system perhaps is going to be different. Or, or are we going to see them, God forbid, actually phasing out things like Sugary sodas. I think I think before you see that, they'll just provide other options, right? So, so you have a choice. I don't think you'll see. I mean, the sugary options just dominate, and and I think most of the studies will say that people don't care the fact that they're bad for your health. And I think you know, on the margin, you'll see some volume decline just from the simple fact that if you have a baby boomer go, going and has any kind of health complications, one of the low-hanging fruits is what you put in your body. So you, on the margin, you'll see some sort of decline there, but still heavy, heavy sugar consumption in terms of your uh, beverages. You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, an email from Joseph Higgins, who identifies himself as listener number 1024. Yes. Is there a minimum block of shares you guys purchase at a time? I've always heard the typical rule of thumb that you shouldn't invest less than $1,000 in shares of a particular company. Is this how you approach buying stock, or perhaps do you use a higher amount? Obviously, purchase, uh, purchasing larger amounts at a time reduces your brokerage fees. But my question more stems from when you mentioned that certain dips are buying opportunities or chances to pick up a few extra shares. Do you guys actually mean you'll go out and buy a few shares on those dip, uh, dips, or are you just high rollers that have spare thousands of dollars lying around at all times? Um, Bill Barker probably has spare thousands yeah, he's, lying he's around at all times. Yeah. But, uh, but no, I think it's a, that's a good nuts and bolts question in terms of how do you think about buying shares of a stock? Do you think of it in terms of a block of shares, a number of shares, or do you think of it in terms of a dollar amount? Uh, I think of it in terms of, uh, well, it depends. You should know what the um, uh, commission you're going to be paying is. Right. So there, there is no reason to get something in, in round numbers of shares. You know, our, our insistence as a sort of base 10 numbered mm-hmm. system to think in terms of tens, hundreds, thousands, whether that's dollars or numbers of shares, uh, are all irrelevant to how much money you will make because the money you will make is uh, going to be a percentage and that comes down to uh, you know se- you know two decimal places uh, uh, after you've held for long enough so um, yeah I don't know if there is a rule of thumb that I've heard about buying a thousand dollars worth uh, or or a thousand shares it tends to be the way uh, some of the industry, works and thinks, um, but you should just know what your commission is, whether you're paying per share, uh, which you might be, uh, or whether it's a flat rate. Um, know what the percentage of that commission is uh, in your purchase and try to keep it um, certainly below uh, 1%, I would say. 
Yeah, and I think that's the rule of thumb is you just want to keep that commission as a percentage of your total cost down below one, maybe, you know, 2% max. If you're young, like when I first started, I mean, my commissions were, you know, around two, two and a half percent. I was just starting out as an investor as a like 18 year old kid didn't have a lot of discretionary income and a long timeline. So I didn't worry that it was two and a half percent, you know. But I mean, as, you know, as an investor, you want to keep it as low as possible, just like uh, Bill said. I think that's the way to think about it instead of blocks or round numbers. Or Yeah, I, you know, when people are buying, uh, for instance, uh, mutual funds, they are thinking in terms of the, the number of dollars uh, that they're investing into the fund, not how many shares uh, of a fund they yes. get. And so it is different when you're thinking about um, stocks. Um, but, you know, we, we in MFAM, um, we always buy at least uh, one whole share when we're buying something. And, and that's uh, Berkshire Hathaway. We'll just buy one. It's $167,000 a share. But that, when it's not Berkshire, we're yeah. usually buying, uh, yeah. you know, at least 100 shares. I always think of it in terms of just the dollar amount that I have to invest in a company because I don't trade that often. And so for just me personally, I look at something and say, okay, I've got X amount of money. I want to buy shares. The most recent one was uh, last year I bought shares of Chipotle. Mm -hmm. And that was, well, this is how much money I have. How many shares do I think I can get for that? Okay, that's how many shares I'm going to buy. But it it was just based on the dollar amount. And then you want to compare it to your portfolio. You know, what what sort of size position am I taking as a percentage of my total portfolio after looking at the broker fees? Question from Mark Reinecker, who writes, I just opened my first stockbroker account and would like to continue educating myself as much as possible. Could you spend a few minutes on some book recommendations for new and experienced investors? Thanks. Um, Thanks for listening, and and good question. Uh, Brian, any uh, book recommendations for – there are so many out there. Uh, and, and And I say this as someone who gets sent a lot of books from publishers because of the Motley Fool Money radio show and publishers, mm-hmm. Matt Greer, our producer, uh, and I are on the list. So um, a lot of books are terrible. <laughs> like, like we get sent a lot of books and it's very easy for yeah, Mac or yeah, I just yeah, to be like, yeah. we're not, we're, we don't want to interview this yeah. person. Uh, but there are a lot of great books out there. What's one you'd recommend? I'd say for beginning investors, you still, I mean, still have to look at uh, – Peter Lynch's one up on Wall Street. And for experienced investors, I think it's worth going to Google and doing a little Google search for uh, for an oldie but goodie. Um, it's not in circulation. If you go to Amazon, it's over a grand. It's called Margin of Safety by Seth Klarman. Uh, he runs a hedge fund ball post group. Uh, excellent investor in a very, very, very interesting book, Margin of Safety. I would Google it for the PDF online. Well, just you can just get the PDF for free? Well... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you go to Amazon, it's well over a grand to buy the book because it's not in circulation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's intentional. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not intentional. Uh, Sort of uh, something I think is a a slightly, uh, just barely more advanced, but uh, still good for the beginner um, uh, than Peter Lynch's books, which are good, but I think somewhat anecdotal. Um, uh, Something that's a little bit more systematic would be the, The Warren Buffett Way by Robert Hagstrom. Uh, I think is a good one uh, that's very accessible for uh, for anybody. Uh, Klarman's book is great. That uh, is a little little hard to find in an actual book form uh, without uh, dropping a lot of money. One I'll just mention is, and I think I've mentioned this before, is Michael Lewis's book about the Great Recession, The Big Short, which is 
brilliant for a number of reasons. One, Michael Lewis is just an amazing writer. But two, he weaves these stories together of these people who, as he said when he was here at The Motley Fool, he wanted to find people who not just saw the crash coming, but saw it to the point where they were able to make massive profits off of it. And uh, he's so good at giving the personal side of, of these people. And there are some amazing characters in The Big Short. So um, he actually has a book coming out late March, yeah, early April. He's got another book. He, I'm sure he'll be coming through. I really? hope he is. I hope so. I, Liar's I, Poker. It's also a great, great think, book. Yeah. So um, uh, Michael Lewis, he's written a couple of books about, yeah. about investing and the world of investing. But um, uh, it, The Big Short, to me, really gets at, among other things, the culture on Wall Street and something I've had the chance to speak with uh, students at business schools from time to time. And one of the th- – I you always use that book as an example of if you're an analyst, you need to evaluate a company or an industry. And you need to, whenever possible, be as truthful as you can be. And the big short illustrates, among other things, just how people who stand up and say that the emperor has no clothes – often get ignored or shouted down, or in some cases, outright fired. Yeah. On Wall Street. Um, As I said at the top, we've got a snowstorm coming. We hope we're going to be here tomorrow. We don't know that for certain. Um, But we do have provisions on hand, courtesy of our colleague Bill Mann, portfolio manager at Motley Fool Asset Management, who on his most recent trip to the Middle East brought back for me two small cans of Pringles from the Middle East that I have here. Um, one is. Are you just soliciting now for like because readers or I'm not readers, the listeners send send you things on occasion. Yes, and I th- it, we, we love it. So you're soliciting. I'm not soliciting more flavors I'm, I'm, of Pringles. I'm expressing my he, gratitude he is, to Bill Mann. Find weird flavors uh, of Pringles. So one flavor is hot and spicy, kind of a fetish. Of so so <laughs> let me let me pass those along. And this is the great one. Uh, another flavor, which um, and again, it's uh, written in Arabic on the side and in English. The flavor of this particular type of Pringles is cheesy cheese. Which, uh, when I uh, mentioned this to and? to our colleague Chris Evans, he laughed and said, "So, it, does it stand to reason that they also make one that's called meaty meat?" And I said, "I don't, I don't know, but well, I'm going to go ahead. You've tried the hot and spicy. I've How tried is it? The hot and spicy. It is as advertised." Yeah, the a cheesy cheese. No, it just I, it just tastes like one level of cheese. It's kind of weird one cheese. Level. Kind of a weird cheese. And and you know somebody probably suggested that, and somebody said no, let's go with Some, cheesy. Someone in marketing yeah. said no, we're not we're not going to move product if we call it weird cheese. Yeah. All right, Brian White, Bill Barker, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. Hopefully we will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.